You are listening to This is Oklahoma, hosted by Mike Hearn, telling stories of Oklahomans and those that have made it their home. This podcast is presented by the Oklahoma Hall of Fame, telling Oklahoma stories through its people since 1927. Follow them online at oklahomahof.com and definitely on Instagram at oklahomahof. Let's get into today's episode. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of This is Oklahoma. Mike Hoon here, your host, back with another episode down at the Treasury in Oklahoma City today with Mr. Bill Price to talk about his book, um, At War with Corruption, uh, a biography of Bill Price, U.S. Attorney of the Western District of Oklahoma, um, written by Michael J. J. Hightower. I'm sure he's a great friend of yours. If if you wanted to write a book about it, you can spend hours and hours telling stories. (laughs) Um, And also the foreword by uh, previous governor, Frank Keating, which, again, I assume is a very good friend of yours. Well, Michael Hightower hadn't been a friend before this, but we developed a friendship uh, over the course of 20-plus interviews. Yeah. Uh, And I've always been a friend of Frank Keating's. Uh, well, amazing book, fascinating story. A lot, you know, a lot of Oklahoma corruption stories in there, and and you just kind of happen to find your way in the middle of all of them for the most <laughs> part. Uh, we won't talk about all of them because we could be here for days. But um, for people listening, I'll put the the link for so they can go check out the book and buy it and read it themselves because it is fascinating to talk about kind of Oklahoma history and the corruption through the you know the the state and the state government and just all of that crazy stuff. But um, we'll take it back. I want to start with kind of your upbringing, where you grew up, um, your family, and, and, you know, we'll navigate through kind of young preschool, high school, and how we get into, you know, working and going to Georgetown as, you know, university, and then returning to Oklahoma and going to OU. So that's kind of the process that we're going to talk about today. But take me back to little Bill Price. Where, where was that time? And, and, and what was kind of like your, I guess, childhood dream? Well, my grandparents came in on the run. Uh, My grandmother was 99 when she died and used to tell me as a teenager about living in a sod house and coming in on a covered wagon uh, in northwestern Oklahoma, a little tiny town of Oakwood that's non-existent now. It's a gas station is about it. Uh, And my dad worked his way through high school, college, medical school became chief of surgery at Mercy Hospital. And I was raised in Crown Heights uh, and went to Edgemere uh, uh, grade school and then Cassidy High School. Uh, and uh, my upbringing was interesting. Uh, my parents weren't that political, but I was and uh, uh, got involved in the teenage Republicans. And Two experiences uh, with that relate to the corruption of that time. Uh, one was driving GT Blankenship's bus around the state, just I and GT. He ran for attorney general and won, and his uh, main issue was uncovering the Supreme Court scandal. It's hard to imagine a majority of the Supreme Court was taking bribes. How could you practice law in that environment? Yeah. Uh, and he was brave enough to uncover that. And uh, uh, much of the experiences of that uh, um, 
uh, it, of that uh, time uh, came over uh, to me uh, as boy, it's important to eliminate corruption. Uh, secondly, uh, J.D. McCarty was Speaker of the House. And in Oklahoma, the governor is not that strong. Uh, and J.D. McCarty had destroyed governors before. Uh, he was incredibly powerful. And his power derived from special interests would bring sacks of money to J.D., and he would pass it around to everybody. So everybody was dependent on their cash uh, getting them elected. Uh, and so uh, J.D. McCarty was in the most Democratic district in Oklahoma, uh, southeastern Oklahoma County, uh, and uh, a guy named Al Snipes, who was Republican chairman. Uh, there were only about 10 percent of the uh, the Senate and the House and or the electorate that was Republican at that time, and uh, Al Snipes didn't even have a candidate. He had these teenage Republicans, and we had about 100 members uh, that would call all the voters and find out if there's, he, he found out that there's two or three Republicans in the whole district. And so uh, he, recruit, he recruited one of them that people thought well of, uh, a funeral home director. <laughs> they saw his signs and uh, named Vondell Smith. And so we called every voter, and this district was so impoverished that it probably had 10% turnout, and he managed to defeat J.D. McCarty in the most Democratic district in Oklahoma. And then a couple of years later, uh, McCarty went to jail for tax evasion from all these sacks of money. Uh, and so uh, th those were the two of uh, the experiences uh, that I was involved in. Yeah. And then I went to Georgetown uh, School of Foreign Service, came back to OU Law School, uh, and uh, was involved in politics uh, both places. Yeah. You mentioned Oakwood. Uh, is that the where the golf, why the golf course is called Oakwood Country Club in Enid or not? Is that related? Uh, it, it may be. I don't, I don't know. The, the only time Oakwood ever came up was there was in the county commissioner case, yeah. there was a bribe on the, <laughs> the old streets of Oakwood. Uh, Dad would drive up to northwestern Oklahoma with me, and we'd stop by Oakwood, and it was a, mo it was a block off of the uh, a highway, yeah. and it was just, it looked like a, a ghost town. Uh, it was one street of falling down buildings. Yeah. That was Oakwood. So they may have uh, adopted that old time name. Yeah. yeah. And, and reading the book, you were very, very involved from a very young age in, you know, kind of just young politics. And it wasn't, I mean, it, you know, it's kind of like, you know, you, you had part, you were the leader of a party or, or, or just kind of a group or whatever you want to call it. Like you really wanted to, to move into that space and you were, you had leadership tendencies from, from a very young age too, which I noticed reading the book. Well, uh, back then, especially 
the Republican Party was so small uh, that it was the Reform Party, in addition to being conservative, which is the, the norm in Oklahoma. Uh, it was uh, the anti-corruption party to a large extent. There were some Democrats that were anti-corruption, yeah. uh, but they were a minority, right. <laughs> whereas the Republican Party was really attractive to the youth uh, because uh, it changed Oklahoma politics from good old boy uh, corruption uh, that they were seeing all the time. Mm -hmm. That's something that I think, and you've probably seen this over time too, it just kind of the, the good old boy corruption seems to just evolve and every generation is going to see some form of good old boys because they're just a new generation coming up right yeah i'm sure you've seen that over history and you know we've chatted before we were recording like it just seems to evolve there's just it's never going to stop fully but it's just as much as we can do you know even if you didn't and, and all the guys who, who you recruited and, and worked along with if you guys didn't and you mentioned gc blankenship like if you if you guys didn't you know push against it, there's no saying how bad it could be now, right? Like, of all the stuff that's happened because of that. Well, there's there's some changes that occurred. It was, it's not that the corruption isn't, has gone away, uh, but it's not systematic like it was systemic, uh, like it was back in the 50s, 60s, 70s. Even earlier, uh, the... Uh, uh, in the county commissioner case, uh, we would run into people that would tell us that since statehood, a majority of the material had didn't exist uh, that the county commissioners bought. And the 50% that they did buy was 10% kickbacks, which cost the county 40% more because you have to have all these layers of middlemen. And so... It had a dramatic effect, and it still has dramatic effect, on uh, the transportation, the bridges, the roads uh, throughout the state of Oklahoma. People don't realize that in rural Oklahoma, there might be four or five hundred uh, of these wooden bridges. Yeah. And if they, uh, non-existent lumber was the norm. Yeah, yeah, it's it's fascinating. And, and a lot of things, you know, uh, especially with history, people now of, I guess I would say my generation or anyone younger just grow up, they just, they're very unaware of this stuff and they would have no idea. And because of your book and others, like they can go back. And I know you've done a previous podcast with the Oklahoma History um, center with Trey and Dr. Blackburn and I'll link that in the description for everyone listening to go listen to that because it's fascinating because you dive a lot into the history of that stuff but and it wasn't just Oklahoma mm -hmm. uh, the uh, if you read Claro's book about Lyndon Johnson's or Bobby Baker's book the same sacks of cash were occurring in the Congress yeah. <laughs> at the same time uh, that J.D. McCarty and uh, uh you know, others were right. getting huge amounts of cash from special interest groups. And the county commissioner case is really uh, nationwide. Uh, the, the, we, we, the FBI and, and myself, went lecturing to uh, assistant U.S. attorneys and FBI agents, and there were prosecutions throughout the South. I don't think 
they eliminated it like we did. Right. Uh, they didn't have a lot of the breaks or real good investigators. Uh, but like in Mississippi, 85 people were prosecuted. Yeah. In a lot of these states, uh, 10 or so. The only states that avoided this were the ones that had a county manager system of uh, government. Um, and that's the reason why I've always pushed for home rule, which is allowing the county to choose their system of county government. We allow that in cities and towns, yeah. but we don't allow it for counties. Uh, you've got one system, and the system is tends to be wasteful and uh, uh, lends itself without mm -hmm. checks and balances to corruption. Uh, and that's not to say that the people that are currently in those offices yeah. aren't honest as can be, but it's not the best structure. Right. Yeah, it doesn't, doesn't seem to make sense. Right? No. <laughs> but going before we dive into kind of the, the county commissioner stuff, I want you to go back and kind of talk to me a little bit about where the just the feeling for, you know, doing the right thing and, you know, where does that come from for you? Was there a certain example? Was there, set, you know, wh well, where does that start? Because to go, I mean, to mount, an, not an attack, but to mount like an opposition against the good old boys of Oklahoma and the corruption and the way it was going. Cor corruption not only costs a bunch of money to the taxpayers and hurts uh, uh, the, the little guy uh, even worse than uh, uh, the more wealthy people in the community, but it also erodes this, the whole system of, of democracy. And I would see it when I'd campaign for somebody for state legislature, and especially in people that came from rural Oklahoma, a lot of times they'd say, I'm not voting for anybody, they're all crooks. And they were right. Yeah. Uh, and uh, that really erodes democracy. That destroys America. And, and part of that passion came from that, mm -hmm. uh, a realization that uh, our democracy was under uh, attack. Also, to commercial bribery, uh, which we, I wrote the statute on commercial bribery in Oklahoma, uh, erodes our system of uh, free enterprise. Mm -hmm. And you want to have as free a markets as possible without people bribing other people <laughs> uh, to change those markets around. Yeah. Uh, and so that passion came from from um, just uh, the output of, uh, of seeing what was happening in Oklahoma, but also of personal experiences with voters. Yeah. Where does the kind of just, you know, your, your passion and, and I guess the, why did you take kind of the, the conservative route, you know, against, the, I guess, the liberal route? Well, it, it probably Oklahoma has got a very conservative roots. Mm -hmm. uh, we believe in small government. We believe in government closer to the people. I read uh, a lot of uh, Hyatt and uh, uh, Friedman, mm -hmm. uh, conservative uh, intellectuals, and later Thomas Sewell. Uh, the... Uh, uh, 
that is the basis uh, of my conservative thought uh, is that free markets tend to work and uh, the more layers the government's put on it the less free markets work and the less jobs and opportunities are available for people I guess we're starting to see that now right Oh, absolutely. People aren't happy with it. Absolutely. You know, especially not in Oklahoma, they're not. <laughs> Unless you're in oil and gas, I guess the oil you know, the oil. Yeah, the, up, the way to solve climate change is not through restricting oil and gas. Yeah. Uh, it's through, you know, innovation, R&D, nuclear, mm-hmm. things like that can ha- make a difference. Uh, but just restricting the oil and gas industry is a is a uh, recipe for disaster. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, again, we could speak for hours about what what's going on in the world and whoever's sat in the right chairs and all of that stuff. But one thing that that kind of fascinated me when reading the book is your time in Georgetown uh, and the people you meet there, um, you know, and kind of like the the speaking opportunities you had and the way that you led through that. And, and obviously you met your wife there as well. But talk to me a little bit about kind of why you wanted to go to Georgetown and then your time there as well. Well, I went to Georgetown in large measure because it was in I love politics, and it was D.C. in the uh, uh, epicenter of uh, political thought. And every night you'd have a choice of going and hearing uh, the, uh, the head of state or, or a debate between the two leading economists or going to an embassy party. That education right in and of itself was great. It was pretty well divided uh, at the time. It's not the uniformity of, of left-wing uh, uh, thought like we think of now. Uh, it was about half Republican and half Democrat. And everybody was very political. And I was on the student council with Bill Clinton, for mm-hmm. instance. Uh, and uh, my roommate uh, throughout uh, uh, college was a uh, was president of the class the first year, and he was an ardent uh, 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 Robert Kennedy fan. In fact, he spent his uh, uh, honeymoon at the Kennedy compound. They let him uh, do that, uh, and he didn't like Bill Clinton. <laughs> Uh, and uh, thought he was a phony. Uh, And uh, anyway, we, our class uh, went against Clinton for student body president, and it was overwhelming, and that's the reason why he lost. And uh, uh, I have a ton of Bill Clinton stories. Uh, I got along all right with him, but he, I kind of... uh, uh, would view uh, his, his remarks with a grain of salt. Uh, later on, his uh, campaign manager in our class, who just loved him, uh, was a guy named Paul Prosperi. And the later time I see Paul Prosperi's list uh, on, the, on the pardon list for Clinton, uh, he was attorney in uh, Florida, had the first big fundraiser for Clinton for running for president, contributed hundreds of thousands of dollars to Clinton causes, yeah. and had embezzled a million six from his clients. And he got convicted by a federal <laughs> jury. And 
he got his conviction affirmed and then Clinton pardoned him. And so uh, it never, the press never picked up on this, but you know, that's not a case where you got fooled by your uh, advisors. Uh, he he knew this guy really well, and uh, uh, there was no reason to reduce his sentence. Right. Yeah. All of that kind of stuff that you know you, you hear about this stuff all the time, and that's a perfect example of it. It's kind of smoke and mirrors, and it's like you know everyone's watching over here, but we're going to slip this one over over here and, and clear everything out. It's it's you know it's. It, it's politics, right? That's just the only way to say it. And it, well, it, it shouldn't be politics. It shouldn't be, but sadly it is. It, yeah. it, it, sadly, uh, there are people that are in politics that are willing to sell their soul. Mm-hmm. To, and it it really hurts the public uh, yeah. substantially. There was a large measure of uh, politicians today that I think are fundamentally honest. Mm-hmm. And that's the problem with corruption is that... We prosecuted 230 county commissioners, and virtually there's only about 10 that we would verify were honest. And that's out of uh, three times uh, uh, 77 counties. Uh, And what happens is when you don't prosecute, you know, there's always going to be 10 or 15 percent that are corrupt, Mm -hmm. but you begin to have. The, the middle ground of people deciding they're suckers and yeah. and uh, everybody else is doing it and and uh, not getting prosecuted and pretty soon the whole group uh, becomes corrupt. Right. Yeah, because uh, people are just kind of following the example. They think, well, this is how we've always done it. We're just going to join and be a part of it, and then. You know, they realize that that's clearly not how it should be done. (laughs) And this is in a milieu in which there had been headlines for two years about the FBI and the U.S. Attorney's Office conducting this investigation. And they still (laughs) were doing it. They knew it was coming. Uh, And, uh, you know... It it's incredible. Yeah. Uh, when our case bled down to Texas, uh, they hadn't had this publicity. It was even more corrupt. <laughs> uh, so uh, it's a national problem. It's yeah. not just a local problem. It was. It is still the largest political corruption case in American history, right. and it was large measure due to the really skilled investigators, yeah. uh, FBI and IRS criminal division. Yeah. Uh, that we worked uh, on a daily basis for three years yeah. uh, conducting this investigation. It's yeah. It's sadly money does you know things to people that you know you you'd never you'd never say that they would ever do that right. You know you'd say there's no way this person I know this person they're a great person but somebody else shakes a bag of cash in front of them and their morals are changed and that's kind of ruins. You know, they, once they're turned once, that's, it's hard for them to stop going down that path. Well, when people tried to justify it, I'd ask a number of questions. Did you ever do this in front of somebody? No. <laughs> Did you ever tell your wife? No. Yeah. Did you ever put it down under your taxes? No. Uh, you know, that tells you a lot about right. how criminal they, they, they thought it was. We included in every indictment 
the oath of office of a county commissioner, which basically just says 10 different ways, I won't take money. Uh, and uh, so they were violating their oath of office. Right. Because they are, is there a certain, and forgive me for not knowing this, but is there a certain number that they are allowed to take up to no. a certain amount? No? no. Is there is there any way in like the well, city or it, not? you know, obviously, uh, uh, you know, going to lunch with people sure. and, and yeah. things like that or, or are not corrupt. Yeah. Uh, they don't buy votes. But taking money, period. <laughs> yeah, I had a, I had a, uh, my one of my professors in, in school. He used to be, I think, mayor of one of, of of a local city here, and he he was telling us stories that you know he would go to lunch with his kind of group, and a guy would just meet him in the bathroom and just get you know offer him you know a wad of cash or an envelope, and he's like. I don't want it. I can't take it. Leave me, like, leave me alone. Like, stop following me into the bathroom with wads of cash. Uh, but, you know, and that was, you know, six, seven years ago, which is scary. I'm sure it still happens today, sadly. Uh, and I think it's probably easier with the way that technology moves money now. It's There's ways to get around it, sadly. And the numbers are significantly more, yeah. you know, because when you look at the general salaries of politicians and then you look at their net worth, it's like, how did how did that how does that happen? Well, you know, in knowing something's happening and proving it is a different thing. Yeah. Uh, the uh, in Stevens County, for instance, they had uh, spent enough money on bridges uh, to rebuild every bridge in the county three times. So they knew it was non-assistant materials, but they couldn't prove which particular ones. Yeah. And only through uh, having a grand jury system and going after the tax yeah. part of the people, uh, which was maybe in a different county, mm-hmm. uh, could you get at the bottom of this? Yeah. How did you figure out, I guess, the? I mean, what was like the first kind of domino to fall that you figured out that hey there's some not something going on you know something going on here and then it leads to everyone you figuring out that everyone well stevens county uh a uh, homeowner uh had gotten fed up Mm -hmm. with their lousy (laughs) roads and bridges and had uh, started a a county grand jury. And we found out later on they would brag about the for 40 years they had gone to county grand juries and all lied and and skated. Uh, And so that wasn't of concern to them. And they had done the same thing here. Uh, the weakness is that if you're a county commissioner and I'm a supplier and we do a non-assistant material deal for $10,000 worth of lumber that doesn't exist, yeah. uh, I get a check from the county for $10,000 and I give you 5000 in cash. Right. My problem is I pay taxes on <laughs> total $10,000 unless I have what's called a phony backup invoice supplier, mm-hmm. which makes it look like I bought the lumber or whatever it is from, from them for, for 90% of the cost. Then I get a deduction for uh, cost of goods sold, and I only have pay taxes on the 10% disposal profit. Yeah. Uh, the, the weakness of this system is that phony backup invoice supplier yeah. is in deep trouble tax-wise. 
And that was not in Stevens County. That was Dorothy Griffin uh, is one of them yeah. uh, that was in the other part of the state. And confronting her with her tax returns and with her phony invoices uh, was enough to change her into a government witness. And she did a whole bunch of uh, tapes of suppliers yeah. that helped prove tax. And then we picked out the right supplier, luckily, uh, out of the 13 uh, uh only one, we did a psychological analysis for weeks yeah. uh, to figure out which supplier to approach because if we did the wrong one, mm -hmm. we were dead. Uh, and all the rest told us to pound sand. Yeah. Uh, it, luckily, we turned one supplier and he went and did his business with uh, a whole right. bunch of commissioners and that caused the the uh, avalanche of pleas. Right, and then you open the spider web and you realize how far this goes out. Yeah, it was, It. I really didn't believe yeah. that the scope of this mm -hmm. uh, and how prevalent it was, uh, but, the, the more I got into it, the, the more incredible it yeah. was. Uh, and that's just one of 20 cases uh, that I was doing at this time. Uh, I was involved in uh, his third or fourth chair in David Hall, mm -hmm. uh, who was governor of Oklahoma. Uh, the Corporation Commission scandal uh, came from a conversation with Bob Anthony in which we knew what was going on, but we didn't have a witness to testify against the attorney that was bribing everybody. And again, this has a real impact on people. Uh, your utility bills uh, for you know somebody on Social Security goes way up because somebody got bribed in the Corporation Commission. Yeah. God, and and that person's getting bribed. They they have no idea. They don't they don't see that, right? They, although they they don't even care. Obviously, that this is happening. A large part of politics <clears throat> is uh, what I call the seen and unseen. Mm. Uh, there may be a limited number of people that benefit. Uh, a good example is the sugar lobby. Uh, the sugar lobby may benefit from subsidies. And that's a limited, that's seen yeah. and a small group of people. But everybody pays a little bit more uh, as a result. Uh, and so it is much easier for politicians yeah. that don't have a backbone to accommodate the seen and ignore the unseen. Yeah. But, I mean, just to put it into context, people listening, how much money do you think was, I mean... To put it in like a monetary term, how much do you think was was you know cost the the, the state then, and all you know, including all of these 20, 20 cases you cried and everything else? Oh, it it's got to be in the billions, yeah. uh, and uh, it was occurring in the oil field too. Uh, you would have uh, when when deep gas was deregulated. Mm -hmm. Uh, the cost of a well went from half million to 10 million. And the main office wouldn't have any idea what uh, the well should cost. And so if a supplier approached somebody and said, 
you know, let's do $10,000 worth of oil fill mud, and uh, but you really need uh, yeah. 10,000. Uh, and we split it 50-50. It was the same scheme, but it, and we had people that, uh, uh, oil fill companies that had a million dollar budget for prostitutes, a million dollars for cocaine, and $10 million for uh, kickbacks. So, uh, you know, if you add these two together, uh, it's definitely in the billions. Uh, the, the Corporation Commission had a huge effect on hundreds of millions of dollars. Yeah. Uh, David Hall alone, uh, it wasn't just the case he was prosecuted on. It was also the bags of cash that all the builders had to bring. Uh, to David Hall in order to get buildings constructed. It's hard to gauge what cost it is, but it's got to be enormous. And we're still dealing with some of the effects of this today. Right. Oh, absolutely. Uh, the the roads and bridges, uh, uh, if they were inferior for all since statehood, yeah. uh, they continue to to be challenged. Uh, the uh, Corporation Commission, much of uh, uh, those price hikes mm-hmm. are still in effect. Yeah. Uh, the buildings that the state uh, built uh, under David Hall are still inflated uh, cost. Uh, so it, it has an effect even today. Yeah. And that's not to say that there's not some corruption going on, but it's not endemic like it was. Right, yeah. Um, moving forward, because I, you know, I want to be kind of conscious of time to tell as many stories as we can. Talk to me about kind of your um, love for education. Because, you know, that's that's another battle that you've tackled and, and continue to tackle because of the boards that you're on to this day. Where does that love of education come from and, and why, you know, why do you want to be such a big part in education in Oklahoma? Well, every, everything derives from education. Uh, the, the whole future of the country depends on it. Yeah. Um, I'm, I've been for 12 years or whatever part of OCPA, uh, the head of the School Choice Coalition, and I've come to the conclusion that the only way to really change the education commi- uh, uh, environment is to have competition. Even if it's 10% of the competition, mm-hmm. it makes a difference in terms of change. In every aspect of business, an outside competitor is what changes organizations uh, for the better. Uh, And so I became an ardent uh, supporter of school choice. Uh, Charter schools, uh, money for private schools. I was one of the founders of uh, Cristo Rey, which is a great school for underprivileged kids. Uh, and would really benefit from school choice. Uh, uh, I've been head of the School Choice Coalition, uh, and also I was on the state school board for eight years. Uh, And that passion from education, my dad and mother uh, both uh, uh, were real restrictive on... uh, uh, spending money on cars or things like that, but it, it, the sky was the limit on education. 
and he really believed that education was the key to everything, and I believe that too. No, I totally agree with you. And and the sad thing is, you know, if you look at how Oklahoma ranks in the, the United States of education, we're still not where we should be. You know, and all the teachers, are, I, I saw an ad the other day, it was like, there's a billboard that people in Texas are buying billboards in Oklahoma City and enticing teachers to go to Texas. <laughs> like, this is still happening, sadly. Well, Florida it leads the country in school choice, and they went from the bottom of the barrel to at least the mid part of the barrel. Uh, and that's the only state that has had tremendous progress yeah. in education. Some of the, the same states that are at the bottom of the barrel, like Mississippi, are still there. Yeah. And at the top of the barrel, like Massachusetts, that have a really educated uh, uh, public and lots of uh, universities, are still at the top. But I look for what policies will make it so that it improves dramatically. Yeah. And uh, uh, the uh, uh, school choice is really the only thing, driver that I've seen that really dramatically improves education. Yeah. One of the other things that, that you know, I noticed from the book is that you know, you made a run for governor and you quoted in the, in the there's a book, there's a quote in the book that said you're the best governor Oklahoma never had. I, I didn't say that. I know you didn't say that, <laughs> but it's in the book for sure. Um, I mean, during that time, why did you decide to make a decision to run? And then following that up, what, what do you think would have happened if, you know, if life would have turned the other way and you would have been one of the Oklahoma governors? Well, uh, I'd spent 15 years in the U.S. Attorney's Office. Uh, I thought I had done most of what I could do. Yeah. And uh, the governor's race was attractive to me uh, that year because Bellman was retiring. Uh, I didn't realize the headwinds. <laughs> uh, Bush's popularity, this is the older Bush, would turn from you know, 80% Oklahoma to 20% when he changed his mind on taxes. And Bellman at that time, uh, fairly or unfairly, uh, wasn't that popular. Mm -hmm. And so I won the Republican nomination against awfully good candidates, yeah. <laughs> Burns Hargis and uh, uh, Vince Orza. Uh, but I was facing huge headwinds uh, in the general election. What I would have liked to have done is really improve education yeah. in Oklahoma. That was and improve the business climate at the time to try to get right to work, to try to get, uh, which we eventually did do, uh, try to get workers' comp uh, at a reasonable level. We were uh, really high and make it business friendly, lower some taxes to make it uh, so that we weren't shrinking as a state, but rather prospering. Right. Yeah, it's, and I'm sure just the history and the life that you spent in this space, um, I'm sure there's things that you see, you know, today in the modern kind of whatever our current governor's doing or modern political climate that some, sometimes makes you happy and sometimes just makes you want to throw your <laughs> coffee against the wall, right? Um, Bu bureaucracies have a way of just growing and taking up everything. Yeah. Uh, and so the worry is that uh, uh, hopefully I would have been able to at least mm -hmm. 
either stop it or slow it down. Right. Yeah. Fin- finishing up, um, tell us a little bit about, obviously, you know, you, you met Mary at Georgetown. You brought Mary to Norman. Uh, I'm sure that experience was really tough and funny for her. She's moving to the country out of, out of D.C. Uh, and then obviously, you know, your wonderful family and grandkids that you have today. How, do you have any funny stories about bringing Mary to Norman? Well, uh, she had never been to Oklahoma, uh, and she was a third-generation Washingtonian. Her uh, father had been an oral surgeon there in Washington. Uh, and uh, uh, at the time, Norman was really a pretty small town and not linked very well to Oklahoma City by the interstate. So it was a little bit of a culture shock uh, that the uh, best shopping was Target. Uh, But she adjusted quickly, uh, and she loves Oklahoma. Uh, And so uh, when we go back, we uh, uh, don't look fondly on (laughs) District of Columbia. Uh, It'd be a horrible place to raise a family. This was a wonderful place to raise a family. We had three kids. Uh, Our oldest is an attorney at UNLV. Uh, Our son, James, uh, has a business here. Our Eileen is a nurse. Uh, And... uh, uh, they have wonderful grandkids, which we see all the time. So it's a wonderful uh, life. Yeah, that's amazing. And, and looking back, you know, obviously we chatted before and, and you know, the things that you're currently still doing, you know, even though you are, quote, retired, you're very involved on the boards, working with your family. And, um, you know, I, I don't see you slowing down anytime soon. <laughs> no, no, I, it's not in my nature uh, I'm on nonprofit boards, uh, uh, Christo Ray, the School Choice Coalition, uh, Shiloh, which is a wonderful camp for underprivileged kids, primor- prim- primarily in the uh, minority community. Yeah. Uh, again, it's changing youth, inspiring them at a young age that I think is the uh, the key to changing around is society. I totally agree with you. Um, and like back to education, it starts with education, doesn't it? So absolutely. You know, keep kids in education, teach them the right things, and then let them to be, you know, lead them, give them the, give them the opportunity to go do what they want, follow their dreams. The same opportunity my dad had going from a sawed house to uh, chief of surgery. Uh, it was just a lot of hard work and, uh, uh, the freedom to do it. Definitely. Well, Mr. Price, thank you so much for taking some time out to come down and talk to me about this book. Uh, thanks to the Treasury for hosting us today. Uh, for people listening, I'll put the link to the book in the description. You can go read it. It's a fascinating read um, at War with Corruption. So thank My- you so much. Michael Hightower did a spectacular job, not just outlining my life, but really it, it's a history book mm-hmm. of... Uh, three or four decades of Oklahoma that is a must read for uh, people. I totally agree. It's fascinating stuff. And I can't wait to, like I said to you before, I can't wait to finish it because I don't like to do all of the research because it doesn't make the podcast as interesting because I know all the answers to the questions. Uh, But I can't wait to kind of dive into it thoroughly and finish it off. But for what I have read, it was fascinating. And like you said, Oklahoma history it's filled in here and something's going to make you mad. Something's going to make you really happy when you read this. Um, Also for future prosecutors, it tells 
all the different investigative techniques mm-hmm. and everything to, to discern whether any corruption comes back in a different area and how to attack it. Yeah, it's, oh, it's awesome. And I really appreciate you and everything you've done for the state. I think I'll speak on behalf of people listening for that because there's a lot of things that have changed because of the fight that you've put towards corruption. Um, a lot of people probably didn't appreciate that at the time and you went up against some, <laughs> some people and I'm sure there were times where you would offer bags of cash and for you to turn that down and say no and fight against it tells, uh, tells a lot about you. So thank you so much for taking time out to come down. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Mike. For people listening, I'll put the link in the description for the book. You guys can go check it out, and we will catch you next episode. Cheers. This podcast is presented by the Oklahoma Hall of Fame, telling Oklahoma stories through its people since 1927. Follow them online at oklahomahof.com and definitely on Instagram at oklahomahof. Thank you for listening. We are inspired by those around us and hope that you are too. Make sure you subscribe to this podcast on your favorite podcast platform and leave us a review so we can keep telling your stories. For more great Oklahoma content, follow This Is Oklahoma on Facebook and Instagram.